Amen. So grateful that you're here today. And uh, this is a church that uh, really celebrates. And this is a Super Sunday, not just because of the Super Bowl, but because who we believe in, Jesus Christ, is an amazing God. And he wants us to really celebrate who he is. Amen. So if you're sitting at the same seat the last time your team won, hopefully they'll win again today. That's the idea here. You know, but as I was thinking about Super Bowl Sunday, I wanted to think about, and I'm a football nut, trust me. If you've ever seen me watch football, I scream at the TV. My wife's like, they're not listening. And I'm like, yeah, but I think they're going to hear me because I got this penetrating voice. And I get excited. I'm a fantasy football guy. I mean, I love football. I love football. You know, but I love Jesus more. And, and my buddy Lowell came up and he said, hey, I got Kool-Aid. There's this thing going around Facebook about your pastor. And hopefully, I think we got it up here. Hopefully, you guys will get excited about who Jesus Christ is. During the sermon today, during uh, a moment in life, hopefully at some point during this game, when you eat the best nachos of your life or the, the little, what do they call them? The little Smokies with bacon wrap. That you'll get more excited about who, who, who gave them to you, not the person, but God. Hopefully at some point today when the big touchdown scored or that great commercial that you love comes on the screen, you'll stand up and say, I love you, Jesus, more than you will about football. I'm not love football, but when I put my heart in the hands of Jesus, I have a reason to celebrate. So hopefully today, at some point, you will not be embarrassed, but say, I love you, Jesus, for what you've done. And I'm thankful to be watched. Amen. Let's all say it. I love you, Jesus. You can put the, the goalposts up. A couple months, or a couple years ago, Jeremy gave this great message about worship, and this was a real good one, the goalpost. That was good, so. Well, today, we're going to conclude this series, He Is, and, and it's kind of a bummer because it's been good. And uh, Jeremy was talking to me this week, and he said, we're going to continue this because there's so much more that we've just been covered. So stay tuned. Sometime in the near future, six months, three months, we will continue this He Is series part two because it's been so powerful. But the series really revolves around Revelation twenty two thirteen. Something that a believer has to grasp or a non-believer, someone who doesn't know Jesus, needs to grab a hold of and understand. It says, I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. You have to understand that. That's who he is. He's the one telling this. And that's something that we need to grasp and understand. Now, I want to go through this sermon series. I just want to go through the name tags for a second. And I just want you to think about them just for a second. I, I lost mine, but I, 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 I want to go through them. The first time that we did this series, six weeks ago, Jeremy started with, He is God. He is God. And it was a powerful sermon series. And the one thing that I grabbed a hold of that I still remember Jeremy taught us was that God is undefinable. And you know what? Even in the Bible, we minimize God to this. And I'm not saying this is bad, but there's so much to God. So he is God and he's undefinable. And when you see this and you open up the word, you will see that he's indescribable, undefinable, amazing God. And not only is he God, that he's a supernatural God. So we did see he is supernatural. 
And, and that's the characteristic of a God that I want to be a part of. Supernatural means rise above. He, he's above the natural. He's in a supernatural place. I almost fell off the stage right there. I don't know if you guys saw that. But I believe in a supernatural God. Either would have saved me or the 911 would have showed up. So, and, and beyond that, one of the greatest supernatural powers God has brought to this world is love. He is love. And we talked about his love and how that transforms us. And that's one of the greatest powers that he brought into this world. And beyond that, love was forgiveness. He is forgiveness. He brings us forgiveness, a characteristic that he brings, which is one of the greatest miracles of all time, is forgiveness. And he is forgiveness. And last week, if you weren't here, you missed it. And you need to go on uh, online and listen to this. But Jeremy gave a great message about the lion and the lamb. Did he not give a great message last week? It was really good. I don't remember any of it, but it was really good, so... But he talked about this powerful lion and this meek little lamb. And they both have great characteristics of who we believe in God. Now, I want to end today with this, 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 this last he is, but there is going to be a future one. He is promise. Now, I know that doesn't sound maybe correct. It should be he is a promise. He is our promise. But I wanted to make sure that it was he is promise definitive. Because when you think about the definition about who he is, when he comes back and Webster rewrites the dictionary, it's going to be he is promised because he's the only promise that we really have. So I don't want to put anything between he is a promise, our promise, your promise, my promise. He is the definition of promise. Let me give you the definition of promise that I pulled off the internet, uh, the Webster internet. It says, a statement telling someone that you will definitely do something or something will definitely happen in the future. Jesus. An indication of future success or improvement in your life. Jesus. A reason to expect something that will happen in the future. Jesus. Our definition you could easily put the gospel text in there and say, this is the promise that we have. Now listen, when we talk about promises today, I want you to think about some of the promises that you've said in this world. Think about some of those promises. I promise to come home tonight. I promise to be good. I promise to put a ring on your finger. I promise to pay the bills. I promise not to drink again. I promise not to hit you again. I promise not to do that again. Or even better, I'm going to go before my friends and family and make a promise that I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to be till death do you part. The problem is, that's man's words. Man's words have these heartfelt promises. I was an addict and an alcoholic for years and I made promises that I couldn't uh, commit to. Not because I didn't want to, I just didn't have it in me. But we have all these heartfelt promises. But man falters all the time. Man falls all the time. But our God, through his word, his promises never fail. I love you, Jesus, because of that. He is promise. Man's promises, we try and hold on to. We just can't. Because they're just from us and they're not from God. Let me explain a little bit more about he is promised. 
If he walked in today and he had a name tag on and say he goes back to series one and he just puts he is God, right? And he puts it in. How would we know that he's really God? How would we know that he's really who he says? How would we be sure of who he was and who he is? Yeah, many people have come to this world and been whack jobs and said they've been God. And created different religions and created different cults and things that we see. But how would you really know that he is God? You're going to have to look at the characteristics and the words that he's saying. And do they match exactly what God is trying to say? That's what happened when the apostles saw Jesus. They were looking and seeing that he is God. Sometimes we have to look at more than words to really see the promises and to see who God is. And that's what this series has really been about. That we are trying to find characteristic traits of who God is so that you can walk away and go, I know who he is to me and what he is to me and what he means to me. God's promises are anchored by this unchanging, his unchanging character and his steadfast love. God's promises are anchored. Think about what an anchor is. It's stuck into something and you're tethered and you don't wander, you don't leave. Maybe you get a little bit farther out than you want to go, but you're anchored. His promises are anchored in his character and his steadfast love. That's what we would need to see who Jesus was. And the apostles got an opportunity to do this. They sat and heard. And for three years, they wondered and watched. They saw all the supernatural things happen. And when he died and resurrected, that's when it all came. That's when it all started to bear fruit because they realized, oh my goodness, he is who he said he was. And the church took off because he came back and showed himself to 500 plus people over 40 days to start this thing we call Christianity. He is promise. Today we're going to go in our Bible and we're going to go to 2 Peter. The two books at the end of the Bible, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, are really, uh, really good books. There was a, a couple of years ago, probably the last couple of series before we went to the Boys and Girls Club. I was in Peter, I was reading, and I was stuck in it for a couple of months. And Jeremy was all over me because I did like four messages in a row out of 1 Peter, right? He's like, you know there's another part of the Bible, right? And I said, I didn't know. I'm stuck. I don't need to know. And he's, and I just kept going. Verse, you know, different parts of Peter. And First Peter in, is in a general epistle. And it's a written letter that's to be read in front of the church. And, and, and it really emphasizes in Peter, First Peter 5, it emphasizes God's grace. So if you're interested and you need some good reading, I suggest go to First Peter and grab a hold of God's grace. Today we're going to go to Second Peter, the second letter. And this one emphasizes knowing God. And growing, knowing and growing. He wants you to know God and he wants you to grow. This word is called epignosis and it's, it's, it's written in the book, uh, it's written in this small three chapter book 13 times. Gnosis or epignosis. Both know or to uh, knowledge. That's what epignosis means is knowledge. The point that I'm trying to say is Peter is trying to teach you something here. This word actually means precise and correct knowledge. There are certain things in our life that need to be exactly precise. One of the reasons, I'm kind of a, 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 a loose guy. And so, meaning, I, I, don't, I don't do things 100%. I don't read the instructions when the, when the manual comes. I kind of try and do it by myself and then I call someone. 
Eric, Jim, my dad, anybody. It's just like, hey, can you come help? Because I didn't follow the instructions. And then those precise people come in and go, oh. And they do and they fix. And that's what, that's what Peter's trying to do. He's saying, I want you to get this right and get precise. Now, when he talks about this epignosis, he's talking about this precise knowledge. Now, when we think of knowledge, our, our mind tends to drift to intellect and great understanding. I've taken classes and, and, and I've got this great intellect and, and I've got all these degrees behind me and I, I know law. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about a precise learning that has action. He's saying, I want you to have this I want you to practice, participate, and live in this knowledge of the truth of who God is. That's what Peter's really trying to say. He's like, I want you to participate in this truth. I don't want you to sit and pontificate. I want you to really participate, just like you might be later today participating with tons of billions of people watching the Super Bowl. He wants you to participate and grow from this. So, if you are able to stand... We're going to read uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 just because I think it's, uh, it's appropriate to read it in context. But really, 3 and 4 is the verses that we're going to talk about today. This is a letter from Simon Peter, a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to share with you the same precious faith we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our, our God and Savior. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in the knowledge of your God and Jesus our Lord. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all this by coming to know him. The one who called us to himself by the means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of this glory and excellence, he has given us a great and precious promises. These are promises that enable you to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Verse 5 says, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Now, as I pray, it'd be very helpful if you prayed and asked God, will you speak to me? On this Super Sunday so that I can walk out of here and have the fullness of God and be able to share. I love Jesus anytime, anywhere in this world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise. We give you, we give you praise for who you are and that you are super to us each and every day. Not just, not just one time a year. Father, I pray that you will speak to us all. That we will grow in knowledge of you and who you are and that we will see that there is a promise for me in your text that will grab a hold of my life forever and always. We claim you as Lord and Savior above all things. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Go ahead and be seated. Now, if we look at this text real quick, I just I'll, I'll just talk about the the entrance of this of this text. In the beginning of, of verses one and two, there's something that he's trying to say here, and I, I think it, it would it would it wouldn't make sense for me to kind of skip over it. I, I tend to like to do that because I want to just get to the meat of what I, I feel like God wants me to talk to. But at one part, he says, "I'm writing you with the same precious faith that we have." 
And, and, and what's saying here, what's being said to us as Christians today, is Peter is saying, listen, I'm writing to you, church, and you have that same precious faith that we have. Even though we saw Jesus, you don't need to see Jesus to have that same faith. You, we are no more special because we hung out with Jesus than you are today in 2016. We have this same precious faith. And I want you to know that about God. I want you to know that this faith is important. So that's something that we should grab out of that entrance. Now, I just I want to make sure I say that as, as we go forward, that this is who we are in Christ. This is what we have. The same faith that they have, if not better, because we don't, we, we don't, we don't have anybody that's been around here that's, that's hung out with Jesus. My dad's old, but he's not that old. So, I want to tell you a little story today about this guy. His name's Russell... Herman Edwards. I don't know if anybody's heard of him, but in 1995, this man passed away and he left trillions of dollars to thousands of people that he never met. He never, he, he left a, a ton of money to people that he never met. He was a simple, somewhat poor carpenter. And most people that knew him knew that he squandered away his money. But in his will, he gave away trillions of dollars to thousands of people. So what's the catch? There is a catch here. Herman didn't have trillions of dollars because no one has trillions of dollars. Not even our own government who brings in 13 trillion don't have trillions of dollars. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a deficit, right? The catch is it was a joke. It was a well-thought-out devised plan that he was going to do, and it was pretty intricate. It was this wild, wild will of this man to get out and, and, and put in his will that I'm going to give this money. And what happens in a will is you've got to call someone and say, hey, you're in this guy's will, and here's what he's bequeathing you, right? So what happens is they get a phone call, and it says, so here's one of them. In the Ohio River Valley, there's a town called Cave in the Rock. No joke. It's called Cave in the Rock. And in his will, he gave this little city called Cave in the Rock $2.4 billion. Now, it's a couple hundred people. It's not a big town. And the mayor was thrilled. He's like, hey, you've got $2.4 billion given to you by this guy. And the guy's like, what? He's like, but he doesn't have the money. But the mayor said, Man, it was kind of cool to dream about what we could do in this city with that money, right? It, this will enliven conversation. It, it, it was pretty amazing. He had great intentions, but he lacked the resource and the reality to fulfill this promise. Here's some of the things that he gave. He gave $1.5 billion to projects in southeastern Illinois. I don't know. Maybe he likes Illinois. I don't know who does, but somebody does, and I guess this guy does. He also gave $6 trillion to the Federal Reserve to pay back the national debt. You can tell we're way beyond that, right? You can, you can see the time. We're way beyond that. But he's like, man, let's pay off the debt as long as I'm going to do it. So the Federal Reserve got this call saying, hey, somebody's going to pay off the debt. They just don't have the money. Sound familiar? And then he says, well, since I'm going to pay off the debt, let me give you another $6 trillion to the Treasury to get us back on track, right? That's the kind of friend I need. But, but he's got to have real money, though. I need that. And then he says, uh, I'm going to give $2.4 billion to the National Forest Service. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I like forests. I want to keep them around. I like trees. That's good. And the, I think there's one more on there. I don't know if I added it, but there's one more. He gave various other places, the railroad system, dredge, 
primary rivers and to provide navigation and prevent. But there was one on there. I don't know if it made it on there. He gave $189 trillion to the state's right fund. He wanted to make sure that our government had states' rights first. He was really into it. $189 trillion. I mean, he was like very specific. I mean, I think this is hilarious. I wish I was that smart to do this myself because this is funny. He was a deep thinker. Who thinks like that? The problem was... This well-thought-out plan didn't have the resources to follow through the promises that he won. A will is something that is gifted to us or, 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 or benefited to us because of the life that that person had. He's just a man with great intentions, but really not the, the, the process to follow it out. What is God to us? Listen to what Numbers 23, 19 says. This is, this is God. God is not a man who does, and so he does not lie. He is not a human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it out? Man and his mind will fail. Till death do you part, I'm going to marry you. Until you did that. Until you quit, until you drank too much. Until you beat me. And then I'm not going to do until death do you part. Man and his mind and his own promises will fail. But in God, and I'm not trying to stir up something about promises. We, you know, I, I, unfortunately, I've been divorced myself. So I'm not saying I'm holy. I'm just saying we make promises and we can't compete. We can't fulfill because of who we are and the lack of who we are. But God is the opposite, and that's what it says. He doesn't lie. He's a human. He's not human, and he's not man. So he's not going to lie, and he's not going to fail you. You've got to think in that mindset when we think about who he is and what he promises. Man in his mind will fail. Let's put woman in there. There's a lot of women looking at me right now. Going, oh yeah, my man fails all the time. But women fail as well. Let's get into verse 3. I'm just going to skip in. Like I said, I'm just reading the first two to kind of set the context. But verse 3 really is, is a great place to start. It says, by his divine power, right? Last week, Jeremy said, this lion had this 700 pounds of bite. Shark-sized teeth could just maul and rip you apart. Powerful, right? And then on Wednesday, we talked about this lion's den by Jeffrey Barnett. And, and, and there's this great power. By his divine power, it says, God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. Because of his power, because of his lion part of his characteristic, he gives us everything we need to live a godly life. We have received all this by coming to know him, the one who has called himself by the means of his marvelous glory and excellence. We get this because he's called us into his marvelous glory and excellence. He's trying to tell you, look, I am marvelous in glory. I'm calling you into this and I have divine power that will give you all that you need, not all that you want. I'm not going to promise you, God is saying, all that you want because what you want is not good for you. What you need will make you a better person, a better Christian, a better lover of God and love lover of man. His power in this verse is a promise. Check it off. 
And not only is his divine power a promise, but him saying, I'm going to give you all that you need is another promise. The problem is my want list always supersedes my need list. But those two are promises. Now, in the Bible and in life and in this world and in this church today, I want you to really think about this for a second. There's no one in this place that wants you to be more happy, more joyful, more blessed than God. No one. Even if you've got a beautiful spouse next to you or a girlfriend or boyfriend, that person doesn't want nearly one one millionth of one millionth of what God wants for you. How do we know that? In, his, in the Bible, it tells us so. Romans 8.31 is my life verse. If God is for me, who on this earth can be against me? And then the following verse says this. Listen to what it says. Since he did not even spare his own son, but gave him for all of us, won't he also give everything else to us? Won't he also give all that we need? Doesn't he love us? Thank you, Jesus, that you love me, that you're for me and not against me, and you're going to give everything that I need. That's what God wants. The problem is that it's hard to grasp what he's trying to tell us or his promises in this world. It's hard to grasp the reality of God in this world sometimes because of this dark oppression that we have called sin. We're fighting ourselves out of this darkness. And the problem is, I come in here, I feel the love of God, and then I go back into this oppressed car, oppressed apartment, oppressed house, oppressed place, and I don't really see the glory of God. I go back into darkness because I'm not blessing my house, and I'm not letting God into my house. This miserable world is full of sin. It's dark, and we need to move beyond this. One of the things that the Bible promises is that the people of this world are going to become worse and worse till the day he returns. It's going to get worse and worse. Children are going to hate parents. People are going to be having sex with everybody. TV is going to take over. Internet, all this stuff is going to pull us apart. And we were going to become worse and worse. That's a Bible promise. But here's another promise that God continues to get better and better. There's a stark contrast, and you'll see on one side, God seems to become better and better and look more lovely to this world. So how do we get into this place? We need to set our eyes into the supernatural. We need to set our eyes into this place above. Colossians 3, 2 says, set your affections and your heart on things above. Because what happens is we come into a church and we are setting our mind on the sin and the footsteps we're taking and not where God is trying to move us. And that's what Colossians is talking about. Set your eyes and your mind on things above because all you're doing is sitting in the oppression. You got crap all around you and you're rolling in it. Does your dog do that? My dog does that. I don't like that about my dog. I don't understand. It's funny, but God's saying, you guys are doing the same thing. You're rolling around in stuff and oppression and sin that's making you worse. And God's saying, I want you to get better. When you set your mind on things outside of your purview, outside of your realm and up into the heavenlies, into that supernatural power of God, you will start to see who God truly is. 
you will start to see his ways unfold and you will start to see how his promise truly can work in your life. Because you're no longer focused on the here and now and paying the mortgage or the rent or the car payment or getting your kid to somewhere. You're going to be focusing on him. And all of a sudden you will see these promises in full view come into your life. And that's a place to celebrate. And then we start to see joy and peace. Even in tough situations, even in trials and tribulations through death and through divorce and through addiction and through all these things, you can still find peace and comfort and joy in the promises of God. So we must anchor ourselves to the promise of God as we endure these tough times, these dark times. Anchor ourselves, grab a hold of it, tether it so they can't move. And maybe you get a little bit of slack, but you can always pull yourself back in and stay connected to who he is. Anchor yourself to the promises of God so that you can get through these tough times. And then another promise says, as we're anchored, we wait for the day that he returns. Another promise. Another blessing, we anchor ourselves and wait till the day he returns. A little bit later in the same chapter, 2 Peter 3, the final chapter, it says, But we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth that he has promised, a world filled of God's righteousness. There is going to be a day that as we are sitting anchored, that we are going to have a new place, a new home. I don't know about you, I, 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 got, I moved into a new place, but I'll take this home way better than what I got. I'm going to be anchored into that. And my place is pretty cool. But God is way cooler. Thank you, Jesus. So what do we do? We wait, we anchor, and we live it out. Peter is telling us, live it out. Live it out. Practice. Live it out. And anchor yourself to the truth. And wait for this glorious day that's coming. And it is a promise and the day is coming. That's the only way we as Christians can make it. Anchor ourselves into this. I was on the internet this week and I was looking up. I was trying to figure out, did someone actually do the promises of God? And there's all kinds of information of actually how many promises are. I learned that there were, there, I'll get to that in a second. But on as I was looking on this website, I came across this. This isn't my word, so... Don't put it on the internet like I came up with this because I'm too stupid to do something like this. But it says, the power of God rests in the promise of God. The power of God rests in the promise of God. That's where we are as Christians. His power rests in His promise. His power comes from the promises. And in that, we become whole and complete and right with God. So... Let me let me ask some questions. We talked about what is promise. He is promise. But we gave you a definition of what promise would be in the dictionary definition. Here's another question. Why would on earth did, would someone make a promise like this? Why does he make promises? Why does he make promises? Why? Let's look. Verse 4 answers it for us. Verse 4 in our text answers it. It was like Peter was answering the same question. It says, And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious, magnificent promises, some of the translations say. And these promises enable you to share in his divine nature. One of the reasons that he does it is so that you can share in his divine nature. 
A father makes a bunch of money in his life and he wants to give it to his kids and say, look, I've got a place and we're going to go to Disneyland and we're going to go out to breakfast and we're going to share in the father's nature. He did these promises that you can share in his divine nature. You can, you can share in who he is and what he is. I got three girls. I want to give them the world. I can't afford the world. I'm like Herman. I'm going to promise them trillions. But I got about three bucks right now. So eat light on the menu. The first thing on why he makes promises is that you can share in his divine nature. You can share in that. I don't know about you, but I like that. I want to share in that divine nature. The second part is even better. It says, and you can escape the world's corruption caused by humans. So the first part is that you can share and be a part of his divine nature and his will and the way that he wants to work and move in this world. He wants you to share in that. The second part is it's an escape plan. Even if I'm in a hole with the, with the Taliban or the ISIS coming at me, I'm going to share and I'm going to escape because I know that there's a promise in heaven for me. Even if I'm stuck in, the, in, in, in a hellish place, I've got a promise in heaven. And I've got an escape plan. And that plan is Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for that. Two things, sharing his nature and also to escape the corruption caused by human desires. The greatness of God stands in sharp contrast of, 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 of who he is with man. God with man. God over here and me on the other side or a hundred or a million or seven billion of me on the other can't stand in contrast to God. There's a great contrast here. Not only God, not only does God make promises to you and me, but he's a fulfiller of promises to you and me. How do I know this? I know it because it's happened. I've got a promise in my heart that God has given me. If God is for me, who on this earth can be against me? That's a promise that he gave me. That's a promise that he told me long ago. And ever since I've tapped into that promise, he has made my life whole and complete. That is a promise. And if you can anchor into something like that, out of the word of God, you can become whole and complete. That's the only thing that's ever transitioned my life, was grabbing a hold of something like that. And those words have taken over my heart. And when I get into tough times, I know that God is for me. There was a moment on the 4th of July. Amen. There was a moment on the 4th of July, probably 2005. I don't know if I've ever told this story. I tell a lot of my own stories that I said that verse probably 1,800 times. I was having a tough day. Toggling, should I go back to drinking and using and, 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 and give up on my faith in God? And, and I was stuck. Something happened in my life. A couple of events kind of manifested. And I sat in bed in my little, apart, or my little room at my buddy Kernan's house. And I said it over and over from morning, afternoon. I got up, grabbed a bite, went back to my room and said it over and over. And that day, that, that verse was cemented in my life. Because I didn't follow the human desire. I stood in the promise of God. 
Don't you love a good promise? Don't you love a good promise? Isn't it amazing when you get a good promise? Especially from a promise maker who also is a promise keeper. That's who we have in Jesus Christ. I might promise you something. And the truth is I'm going to fail you. I'm just a, a, a miserable man trying to live a godly life. But I am going to fail you. Don't put your hope in me. Put your hope in God of the universe. Because he is a promise maker and a promise keeper. Some people don't understand that though. Some people are struggling with that right now. Are you, believe, are, you, are you trying to tell me, Jeff, that all the things in my life is a promise? Some of you are struggling with this because you're like, my life has been miserable. I've had abuse. I've had letdown. I've had parents and wives and husbands and, and all these things hurt me. Some of us weren't raised, I, I was actually raised in a great family. Some of us weren't raised in, in great environments and their, their, their parents broke promises. But listen, in the same text, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, listen to what it says. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some would understand slowness. Listen, the Lord is not slow. I'm slow. I'm dense. I'm dyslexic. But the Lord is not slow as we understand slowness. Instead, he is patient, wanting any, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Listen, he's saying to you right now, you're the problem. You're the one blocking me. He's waiting on you. This letter is written to believers. And we struggle with this theological thing. Oh, well, you don't have to earn anything. When you become a believer, you need to do something. If you call yourself a believer, you need to do something. Quit falling back on this crappy theology that I don't have to have any works in my life. He's waiting on you. And I'm not asking you to sweep the floors. You know what? Myself or Jeremy or someone else will sweep the floors for you if that's what we need to do. He's asking you to make a heart change, a mind shift. Be open to going back and doing that completed work that he started in you. He's waiting. He's waiting. For some of you, he's been waiting for a long time. He's waiting for you to make this shift. I was looking to see exactly how many promise, uh, promises were in the Bible. I was taught there were 7,000 plus, and they stopped counting. And I looked, and there's all kinds of numbers. But there's at least 7,000 in here. There's at least 7,000 promises, and they're from God to man. A promise maker and a promise keeper to a person that fails all the time. Listen. That's a good, good father. That's a good, good father that gives great promises to all. 7,000 promises. I don't deserve anything from God. I can't even barely worship him and celebrate him throughout the week because I'm distracted. Why would he want to give me promises? I'm undeserving. But because he loves me, he's given us 7,000 plus promises. Amen? Because he loves you. But listen, there are 7,000 promises in the Bible and they're sitting on the bookshelf. They're sitting on your nightstand. 
They're sitting somewhere in your life where you're not grabbing a hold of it. And you've got a glass of water or your eyeglasses on it or the remote on it. You've got an app in your phone. I'm not going to throw that. I don't have an upgrade for a while, so sorry. Everything's falling apart now. Sorry, God, I should have thrown it. I'm going to invite the band back up so I can, while I'm getting hold of myself here. There are 7,000 promises. And the problem is, is you guys, including myself, aren't even willing to open it up to see which promises for you. I told you my promise. And I told you how I've anchored my life to that. To the point where I even told my parents this is a great Bible verse and they have it on their own wall in their house. Because it's become a promise to them because they've seen what it's done in my life. There's promises in the Bible. If there's 7,000 people in this church today, there would be a promise for each individual person in here. If there were 70,000 or 70 million, there would be a promise in the Bible for each and every one that would be individual for their DNA. And for some of you, there could be multiple promises like there are for most of us. But there is a promise in the Bible. Hebrews 10.23 says this, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep His promises. Let us hold tightly. Don't let this go. Don't let this go. You should have Bibles everywhere. Bathroom, car, back pocket, phone, and be able to go to it and dig in and go, well, I don't know about anything to read today, but I was given a promise long ago, and I'm just going to rest in that, and that's my inheritance that God has given me. God is trustworthy, and His promises are, uh, are there for us to experience. Now, a couple, of, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about the supernatural power of God starts working about an hour and 10, 15, 20 minutes. It's just starting to work right now for some of you. But they're saying in their mind, what's in it for me, Jeff? What's the bottom line for me personally? Forget everybody else. What's in it for me? I hear all the promise mumbo-jumbo, he is Savior and stuff, but what's in it for me? That's just how our mind works. Get to the bottom line for me personally. Because everybody else seems like they're doing okay, which is just not true. What's in it for me? How can or does God work in my life? Well, Peter writes and says, I want you to know epignosis, or Gnosis, I want you to know me. I want you to grow closer to me. Peter had learned a lot in his life from the ter- first time he became an apostle. He has learned a lot. Peter was one that grew in the knowledge and understanding of God, but he also saw it and lived it out. Listen to some of the things that Peter did. He rushed, he rushed in when he should have waited. That's something that he learned. I should have held back. I rushed in. He slept when he was supposed to pray. He talked when he was supposed to listen. He came at aggression with his sword in the garden when he was supposed to let go and let God, let God's will come into play. But he learned and he grew and now he's sharing with us. What's in it for you? Christ is in it for you. Christ is the promise that God has given us. 
He has given us precious promises. And these promises enable us to share in His divine nature. A supernatural nature. And to escape the world's darkness. You know, for many in this world, we call them lost because they don't have a Savior. They're wandering in this world. And do you know that these lost souls, today, this Super Bowl Sunday, this is good as their life will ever get. Maybe their team wins the Super Bowl. Maybe their team doesn't win. But this is the, as good as their life wins. They win the Super Bowl and they're going to destroy property. Win or lose. They're going to hit their family and their wife because they're excited because they drank. This, for, uh, for those that are lost, this is as good as it gets. But for those that call themselves believer, this is the worst that they'll ever get. Because we have a promise that one day that this body will be left behind and our soul will go to heaven. And we've got greater days ahead of us. God is glorious and excellent and that's a promise that you have greater days beyond today. This isn't as good as it gets. It gets way better. Thank you, Lord. 2 Corinthians 1, 20 says this. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ Jesus with a resounding yes, Lord. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, this ascends to God for his glory. In God, through Jesus Christ, that's our promise. Yes, Lord, I love you. Thank you for who you are. An amen and a resounding yes comes from the heart of people. His promises are there for you. If you're a pastor here today or if you're a peon. If you're a simpleton or if you're an educated man, his promises are there for you to get you out of a situation and into the glory spot of God. But we must respond in a way to live out these promises. There was a moment in the Bible when the Israelites had an opportunity to go into the promised land. And instead of heeding to the two that wanted to go and take the land, they listened to the ten and they wandered for 40 years. Are you wandering? Go back to that moment and try and say, Lord, I'll take that promise and I'm going to fight. And generally, we say we're going to fight. He says, good, now I'll do all the work. Don't wander anymore. Live in that promise. I want to put a piece of artwork up. I don't even know what that is. Sometimes when you're painting or working or craftsman, whatever you do for a hobby that has your artist touch, sometimes in life when you're doing these artwork or scrapbook or something that you're really gifted at, sometimes things happen in our life where we have to get up and leave and not complete the artwork. This is an incomplete work of art. For whatever the reason is, the person had to get up and leave. And what happens when we leave an incomplete piece of art, someone comes by and goes, what the heck is that? It's terrible. I don't even know what it is. And they look at it and they judge it because it's incomplete. 
Because they, they didn't know that the master or the artist hasn't come back to finish it. Is that you? Sometimes people come in and look at you or sometimes you look at yourself and say, I'm like this, I'm incomplete and unfinished. But the promise of God is he wants to give you a life to the fullest and complete you because you are a masterpiece. And what happens is we come into church and we get healthy, we get something back, we have a problem and all of a sudden I get something back and I stop growing, I stop learning, I stop living out my faith and I don't let the artwork complete because I'm too afraid to go back and let the chiseling continue so that I can be whole. God's calling you, please come back and let me continue to do the work. No matter how long you've been a believer, five days, five weeks, five years, 50 years, he's saying, please let me continue to work on you because I have great promises and I want to show the world a testimony. Do you believe that today? God is calling us to come back and complete the work. Continue to grow and know and live out and participate. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise for who you are. We come to you today, Father, knowing that there is a promise in the Bible for me. And one of those promises is of salvation so that I can have an eternal life with Jesus Christ. Right now is the time for someone to step into a new life with Jesus Christ. The promise that will radically transform that life. If that's you today, today's your day. Open up your heart. Make that change. Make that move and ask God in. If that's you, repeat after me. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my soul and be my Savior. I believe that you died and you rose again for me. I love you, Lord. Bless me with your Holy Spirit and allow me to walk in your ways for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.